Thank you, worship team. Really feel bad about a church with no musical talent in it at all. It's a kind of a struggle, you know. But thank you so much. And a good message in that as well. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you all. If you're visiting with us, I'm delighted that you're here and uh, hope you'll enjoy your time. And uh, if we can answer any questions for you at the end, I'll be hanging out and others will as well. Uh, that might, uh, questions that might crop up as we uh, finish our service this morning with a few moments in the Word of God. For those of you who uh, want to make sure I'm not making anything up, there's a Bible in your pew. By the way, if you don't own one, we'd be happy for you to take one. That's why they're in the pew. They're free for the asking. Just take it. And um, if you turn in that book to 469, that's the page that has the passage that we just heard read a moment ago and what we'll be talking about this morning. Let me just uh, think for a minute about Christmas. Last week we talked about all the hubbub, because you've noticed there is a lot of hubbub about this time, right? A lot of activity. It gets a little bit crazy. But um, here's one of the focal points, I think, when we think about Christmas. We, um, I hope this works. Am I on? Is my little doohickey on there? <laughs> if this doesn't work, we're going to be in big trouble today. Okay. Don't those things look absolutely enticing? Is it, does your floor look that good on Christmas morning? Or Not quite, maybe, right? But there's something about it. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, beautifully wrapped presents. Uh, sometimes you don't even want to open them, right? You just like, like looking at them. They're so gorgeous. And they're enticing, the secretness of it. Unless, of course, you're getting exactly everything that you asked for, which uh, sometimes happens, and you can guess by the shape and the rattle and everything else what it is. There's something fun about gifts, especially when they're surprising. So this morning, I want to talk about gifts. I think that's appropriate at Christmas, because there's a big gift, of course, we're discussing. and We've already made reference to it, so I guess I have spoiled everything. We can go home now. I'll close in prayer. I stole the title from a book. Anytime I put a little asterisk, you know there's an explanation why I have the asterisk there. It's because I stole the title. I stole it from this book, which is called The Meaning of Gifts. And I'll just explain briefly. This is uh, written by a man named Paul Tournier. Anybody ever heard of him? I had a feeling probably no one would. But uh, he was felt to be perhaps the most famous Christian physician of the last century. Uh, he was a physician, an author, and also had engaged heavily in pastoral counseling. And one of the first forerunners that actually believed that your psyche, your thinking process, where you're at mentally, where you're at socially, where you're at spiritually, might actually have an effect on your physical well-being. Isn't that a profound idea? Well, today it's common knowledge, but back then, 60 years back, it was like he was kind of on the front end. So in his spare time, when he wasn't walking people through their various aches and pains and internal aches and pains and heartaches, he would write. This book he wrote while he was on vacation. That's the way someone like him spent time. There's something wrong with that, I think. But he wrote this whole book probably in a couple of sittings. 
And I'm going to indulge myself and hopefully you because I feel like when something is well written, it kind of becomes timeless. Um, you find that it's relevant even 60 years later. And uh, so I'm going to quote about five things. They're not long extended quotes. I'm just going to fire them out at the right time because they speak to the issue of gifts, the meaning of them, what's behind them, and uh, how much fun they can actually be. Let me give you an example of uh, his thinking, if I could. My very first quote that I wanted to read, that gifts simply manifest self-commitment. In other words, there's something that I have to engage. I have to put myself out there, if you will, when I'm trying to give a gift to another person. A gift which really means something is the one which shows personal relationship, careful choosing. It is the one in which the giver both reveals his innermost tastes and his sensing of the tastes of the one for whom he purchases it. It's kind of a measuring rod of friendship because in that giving is expressed the relationship. And because of the relationship, we have so much pleasure, both in giving and in receiving. You ever notice how much fun it is to not just receive? It's actually more fun sometimes, isn't it? To give. Speaking of all those presents up on the screen we were looking at a minute ago, the very opposite of such pleasure is pleasure is shown by some people's talk of the burden of choosing Christmas gifts. <laughs> Nobody feels like that ever, do you? When the season comes, oh, i got to do my Christmas shopping. This is because here we are dealing with gifts which are required, expected, conventional, and impersonal. We don't know what to do sometimes about it, really, but they're fun. So I, I had a perfect example this morning. I wasn't, I know people give me all kinds of gifts all, all the time. I get all kinds of interesting gifts. Interesting is a good way to disguise whether they're legal or Ill, whatever. But anyhow, so this morning somebody came to me and said, you got to open this. I got to see you open this. So I opened it. Fortunately for them, it was a score because it was something that fits in perfectly with the season of Christmas. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, there you go. It's Darth Vader. You are a rebel spy and a traitor. Take her away. Anyway, you had to be there. Don't anybody tell me about the movie. I haven't seen it yet. I'm a Christian. But I am going to see it. But there's something fun about gifts and receiving and the anticipation. I'm going to quote from one of the most spiritual movies I've ever seen. You might remember these young men. It's this movie, right? A Christmas story. Which, believe it or not, I am going to loan to one of our church families today. Because they have never seen it. Oh, did you hear that? <laughs> Now make nice, kids, okay? Let's make nice. <laughs> and so I'm trying not to ruin it for the people who haven't seen it, but I have to make reference to a few things. Look at the anticipation here. You might remember this scene. Ralphie and his friends, Schwartz and Flick and his little brother, Randy. <laughs> are, that was not, no intention there, guys. 
We have a Randy here. They're looking through the windows of Higby's department store, right? And they're looking at all the glittering golden toys. And, of course, Ralphie spots, there he is, Red Rider. And there it is, the Holy Grail of Christmas presents, right? Oh, the anticipation. If only somebody would understand my desire and my need and get that for me. Isn't that the truth? Wow, what a great description of how much fun it is, really, when we get it right. The meaning of gifts. Happy are those, Turnier says, who maintain throughout all of life this childlike spontaneity. Don't we kind of get curmudgeonly and lose it? I think C.S. Lewis said, our father is forever young. We're the ones that have gotten old. <laughs> Happy are those who love to stand and look through the gift store's window and drink in the illustrated advertisements in the magazines and are inwardly stirred as they think of all the wonderful presents they could give if they had the means or get <laughs> if they had the means. But it really is sometimes more fun to give. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, story today, which is, by the way, the very first account of anybody giving gifts to the Lord Jesus. When he's older, there are some people who make donations, their grave, expensive perfume, other things, time and energy. That's a gift too, isn't it? When somebody gives you their time, a very important one. So these individuals that we've heard read about today, the uh, wise men who come on the scene and come to the Lord Jesus and worship him, they reveal a number of things about the meaning of gifts. So if I can indulge myself for a few minutes on that, let's do that together, looking at the life uh, that is described here in Matthew. Let me go to the first text I want to share. This introduces the story. Now, after Jesus was born, we left this out of the reading. Did you all hear the reading? Okay, or you can read it right out of your text if you have it in front of you. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. But this is how it begins. When Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king, Herod the Great, that's his name. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. You can decide whether he was really so great. Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born of the king, king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. So we know clearly why they're here. Let me retell the story a little bit. In fact, I was thinking, um, I had to ask some trivia questions. Anybody know anything about the Magi? How many were there? I heard, uh, thank you. Oh, we got too many Bible teachers from the school here. Yeah, I heard three. We, loved we have a song, right? We three kings of Orient are trying to smoke a rubber cigar. How did that go? You know that one, okay. Well, that's totally, it's a nice song, but it's totally wrong. There were probably 50 to 100 of them. They would have come in a caravan. Three wouldn't travel by themselves in those days. It's too dangerous. Were they kings? No. Magi, same root word from magician. Back then, the Magi were the scholar priests 
astrologers a slash astronomers slash scientists of their day. They were the scholars, and they kind of held a position like the Levites did with the Jews, or pastors once did with congregations. They were the ones who were learned. They were the leaders. They were the ones you go to, just like the, um, you know, the... Uh, the kahuna, the, what's the, which, you know, in, in a tribe or a group, you have a leader. You look to them for spiritual insight. That's who they were. And they were well off. They had court privileges. They were significant. They were important. And they're the ones who come on their way. By the way, last, I got I to gotta tear apart the last problem. Almost all of our... Um, Crash scenes, our nativity scenes, have the who? Yeah, always three of them. And, uh, but that's also not biblical because it took a while for them to get there, right? The baby was born. I mean, how many nights would you stay in that hotel? The stable, right? The manger, you know? This is like, it's the last resort. So as soon as they could, they rented some cheap digs somewhere, and it was called a house. And when the wise men finally find their way to Bethlehem, they're still in that town, they find their way to a house, and that's where they come. They come in with the gifts. We just sang about it. People have postulated the gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh have these special meanings. No, they're just representing gifts. I mean, those are nice devotional thoughts, and they're all true thoughts, but they didn't have that necessarily in mind. But they did have something in mind when they came. They came to honor a dignitary. The local king, Herod, he's comfortable in his digs. He should have been on the front end of this because he was leading the people of Israel whose Messiah this was to come. He stays in his fancy house. They come hundreds of miles at great inconvenience and risk in order to honor somebody who's been revealed as of cosmic importance. And they bring gifts that are appropriate, gold and expensive items that can be bartered because in that culture you especially bartered a lot. And those gifts provided for the holy family a very long way. Their trip into Egypt and out and all of that. For those of you who want to read it, you can read it. The point is, Anybody ever been to a presidential library? There's one right across the river. Last year, my mom wanted to do some sightseeing in the Hudson Valley. It's FDR, all right? And so I took her there. And if you go into the library, there's a whole room filled with very expensive, gorgeous gifts from international dignitaries from when they came and visited FDR. It's appropriate for dignitaries to honor other dignitaries with expensive gifts. And that's exactly what the Magi did. Okay, so that's a little bit of the story. But the sad part is there's an opposite end, and that is this character named Herod. So I, I have given you a little notepad or taking place in your, in your bulletin. If you want to write things down, you don't have to. But I want to talk about three dimensions of the power of gifts. Gifts are an amazing thing. They can be used in a powerful and good life-giving way, or they can be used in the wrong way. These gifts that were given were powerful because they were useful and they helped this family. But sometimes gifts, sometimes 
stuff. That's your first S. The power of stuff. It can be used for good or bad, right? It really can. Let's look at it for a second. When Herod, the king, heard these things, do you remember the story? They came, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod should have known. The leaders get together, go, oh, well, let's see. What did it say in that Bible verse in Micah? By the way, 400, 500 years earlier, God prophesied the exact location. Pull that one off. The amazing Kreskin can't do it. Okay, I just want you to know. And those who don't know the amazing, I don't know who the new guy is. Anyway, God told him. And so they said, yo, right here, Bethlehem, that's where it's supposed to happen. Herod is troubled. Why is he troubled? Oh, there's a new king in town. What was that song? New kid in town. Yeah, there it is. Uh-oh, my stuff is going to get disrupted. Uh-oh, I'm the king. By the way, Herod had some hang-ups. He was very, very insecure. If anybody, even in his family, seemed to be threatened, uh, threatening him, in a few minutes, uh, in the passage, if you were to read it down, He's going to be guilty of crimes against humanity just to protect his stuff, his comfort zone. Stuff has power, and it's not always good. When Herod, the king, had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Because sometimes stuff is not just what's ours. Sometimes we don't control it. It controls us. So speaking of the use of gifts as stuff and how it impacts us, now I'm going to show you a little clip from that most spiritual film that we've talked about. What did that Clara give you show everybody? I don't want to. Ralphie, show everybody what Aunt Clara gave you. <sighs> Aunt Clara had for years labored under the delusion that I was not only perpetually four years old, but also a girl. <laughs> she just always gives you the nicest things, Ralphie. Oh, my. Oh, isn't that sweet? Go upstairs and try it on. I don't want to. Go upstairs right now and try on that present. She went to all that trouble to make it. Now go on. Ralphie, we're waiting. Oh, come on, Mom. Right now. Immediately, my feet began to sweat as those two fluffy little bunnies with the blue button eyes stared sappily <laughs> up at me. Oh, I can't play the rest of his comments. <laughs> Do you love the reactions? I mean, what an ungrateful little brat. And then mom, oh, isn't that sweet? This is one of the rare occasions when video shows the dad getting it instead of the mom. And, of course, he's looking like this and finally says, do you want to wear that thing? He looks like a pink nightmare, you know? 
let him out. So that won't ruin any of the story for you, I promise. Here you go. Everybody be nice. The fact is that people can use gifts for their own benefit. Aunt Clara is not tuned in at all to the recipient's desires, needs, wants, or what's even appropriate. Because unfortunately, that gift-giving is really all about Aunt Clara. Isn't she a great seamstress? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it sure is. It's amazing. Anybody ever encountered people who give gifts with lots of strings attached? I had to distance myself from relatives who, that was the price tag. You do what I say. You make sure you suck up to me. You know what? Don't dangle that carrot in front of me. You can keep it. And you have to make that choice somewhere along the line or else you have to prostitute yourself. Make up your mind what you want to do. Mr. Turnier explains uh, some of this. And um, let me just read a bit about the meaning of gifts we see that one can also dominate others through gifts. There can be a price tag attached. Sometimes it's so overwhelming, a person doesn't know how to respond. Unless I'm really secure, it's hard to just say thanks and not feel like I have to pay this back. Sometimes parents, in their training of their children, giving funds and gifts to their kids, keep a string attached. What really counts is the assumed right to demand an account for each personal expense and to maintain the upper hand that money offers. Listen to this. Many parents do not realize this. They even believe they are acting only for their child's good as they hang on to its power. They want to maintain their monopoly of favors, sometimes to the point of being able to choose their children's friends, husbands, and wives. Oh, I would never do that. I've seen it. And it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Thus, there are many gifts which really are not gifts, he says. I think of the strict education of one woman received in an austere and pious setting. Let me just rephrase that. I think of the strict education this lady got in a Christian home. Whenever she had done something particularly well had worked hard to pick the garden fruit or had tidied up all her room, she was given two pennies as a reward. But with the added remark, you will give these to the missionary work among the African boys and girls. By the way, two pennies dates this a lot, right? You will give these to the missionary work among the African boys and girls. Her parents might better have given it directly to the mission and have saved their daughter from being repulsed. How many times we have gotten the wrong view of God, right? Because how so many of his followers have treated gifts, gifts that should be enjoyed, gifts that should be free, given freely out of pure love, like Jesus was given to us freely out of pure love, whether we believe it or not. Last week I talked about the hubbub and all the insanity and it triggered some thoughts in a few people. I had somebody come up and say, ooh, that kind of was a zinger, you know. I don't do that on purpose. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I thought I'd better tell the truth. I had mentioned an article by Kathleen Parker. I don't know if any of you ever read her. She's a columnist. She's an excellent writer. And I don't know about you. I just love to 
read through and feel the lilt and the, the beauty of the way words are put together sometimes. And she's one that can do that. Nice Catholic gal, conservative in her ethics and things like that. But she was talking about actually uh, the present distress of the uh, presidential races and debates. And one particular character who has gone to the forefront, quite famous for his brash and strong ego. I'm not mentioning any names. You can look it up. The point was this. It became an occasion for her to comment on the season. So let me just read a couple of things. I love the way she put it. Consumerism run amok is what we tamely name Black Friday. The super sale day when you're as likely to be trampled in a stampede for the deal. The art of which is in the eye of the beholder, by the way. Consumeritis seems to become more acute with each passing year, infecting even our relationships. Alas, this was done about Thanksgiving. Alas, even our national feast day is a contrivance of mindless gorging. A mere appetizer to the galloping consumption to follow thanks to the greatest marketing scam on earth. And here's the line that I would almost love to have on some kind of wall sign that we could hang every Christmas. Celebrants seem impervious to irony as they buy massive quantities of stuff to celebrate the birth of a savior who had and wanted nothing. Do you think we might be missing some things? <laughs> so gifts can be wonderful, but stuff can sometimes be overpowering and ruin us. And it certainly ruined Herod. And Jesus had a solution for that. Here's what he says. A man's life, or woman, by the way, that counts all of you, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The bumper sticker that says the guy who dies with the most toys wins is wrong. <laughs> you all have heard the story of the very wealthy man who was being laid to rest, right? A friend in the group leaned over to one of the relatives and said, how much did he leave? And the relative said, all of it. You won't take it with you. But in God's heavenly economy, you can send some of it ahead of you. That's another discussion. Not today. The meaning of gifts. So there's the power of stuff, but there's also the power of self and selfishness. That's the second one. Self. I can give myself, which is what real gifts really are about. It's the giving of self. It's the taking the risks of, of, of opening myself up that you may like or dislike this. Friends, think about the power of somebody rejecting your gift when you thought it was really great. You need to think about that in a couple of moments. The power of the self. The scripture says that having been warned by God in a dream, this is the Magi, not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Why is this verse there? Because the intervening story went like this. Herod said, oh my goodness, there's a new kid in town. Go find him. And when you find him, come tell me. Because I can't wait to worship him too. 
You all know the end of that story, right? He wanted to make sure this happened. The reason we know the Magi took a while to get there is he made sure every child two years old and under was eliminated just to be safe. To make sure his self-image remained intact. That he was not undisturbed. By the way, Herod was a rather distorted person. If he had only learned to love and to be loved, he'd have probably been a lot happier. It was so bad that when, if you're not aware of this, he was called Herod the Great because he knew how to give gifts and be magnanimous. You know, the temple that Jesus worshipped in in Jesus' day was Herod the Great's temple. He built it. Great public servant. Gave a lot of money, right? No, it was for him. It was for his image. It had strings attached. And the proof of it was he knew that he was so disliked that when he was going to die, he made an arrangement for a number of dignitaries in the Jewish community to be executed so that there would be crying on the day of his death. Wow. We would never think of something that horrible, would we? No, but we might assassinate a few reputations or a few good relationships if they get in the way of our supposed image that we have in place. Talk about um, the power of self in damaging the joy of giving and receiving gifts, if I may. Two more quotes only. I know I'm boring you, right? Is this boring? I didn't think it was boring. That was pretty good. But then I am boring, so what would I know? No, love is no abstract thing, Paul Turnier says. It needs to be demonstrated to find expression in gifts, both personal and ritual gifts. You know, some of the best gifts are ritual, if you will, honorific, your time, dates, visiting, listening, whatever it happens to be. It's not always something tangible, physical. Many people look down upon our common traditions, politeness, gallantry, things which they call hollow and formalistic make-believe. But let no one fool you. There is a deep meaning in such customs. They are intended to please and in pleasing others to afford real pleasure in living to the person who is acting, the one who is giving the gift. I don't know about you. I think about this scenario. The, the three, the three, see, now you got me doing it. The wise men come physically into the presence of Jesus. Herod can't even get out of his sofa and go down. Isn't there something about that presence that means something? When you've lost a loved one, I've seen people drive hours to come, and I break into tears when I see them walk through the door at the funeral. That's a gift. There's all kinds of them. When a man falls in love, he almost instinctively seeks to present a gift. Even a gift of tenderness, kisses, time which he spends without measure. Every beautiful thing he finds, he feels the need of offering to her. And without hesitation, he knows that she too will find it beautiful. For every gift affords infinite pleasure when we're in love. But listen, there are men who used to smother their sweethearts with gifts. But once they were married, they hardly ever offered any except on anniversaries, birthdays, and Christmases. This is indicative of a love which has not ripened very much, for their gifts to their fiancés were basically quite selfish. They were intended more to assure her as their prize than to make her happy. 
And now that the prize has been won, such husbands no longer think very much about this. It's amazing how very small things can be profoundly impactful. A gift. Is there anyone who can rescue us from this self-centered bent that we have? To always be wrapped up with myself, to always have a string attached? Can I get free of that? I mean, let's face it. I have kids. I had five. I gave them presents at Christmas. Christmas is a fun time. In fact, um, there's nothing wrong with that in itself. Amen? It's, it's a lot of fun. I, it was one of the redemptions in my broken childhood because my parents were divorced. My mom stood on her head figuratively to make sure I had a good Christmas because the rest of our life wasn't so good. I remember that vividly. Don't even remember what all the gifts were. They didn't matter that much. It was the spirit of it. It was wonderful. I didn't know I was in trouble. <laughs> I figured that out later. There is an answer, and Jesus gives it to us. Here it is. All who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified self with its passions and desires. It's possible to get on top of that. It's possible to give selflessly and enjoy it and have it be a two-way street to be liberated from that kind of bondage. There's one more very important quote I want to read that relates to this issue of our need to be rescued from ourselves. Because we do need to be rescued from ourselves. There's a little description here about the next generation. Now, this is 60 years old, but it's still so valid. It's amazing to me. And that is the issue of where we are as kids and what we're looking for. Let us not be mistaken, Paul says. This generation basically is seeking a gift which ours has not been able to provide, a valid purpose for life. Young people are profoundly unhappy because they have lost a sense of gratitude. We've helped them get there, by the way. Now listen to this. They can speak only of rights. Health is a right. Sickness is a frustration of this right. Healing, so quick now, thanks to our antibiotics, is no longer a gift from God. Happiness is a right. No gift can bring joy to the one who has a right to everything. There's another one that should go on the wall, right? No gift can bring joy to the one who has a right to everything. And it's where we live. We have a right. He explains it. I can't imagine what he would think today because this is old. Listen to this. Even love has been devalued. It's but a commonplace convenience which the sexes render one another without there being any deep self-commitment. There is no real giving of the self. And that's what true love is, is it not? It's an unreserved giving of myself to the other and the other to me rather than economical contracting. If I have a right to everything, how could I ever be grateful? And how can any gift ever bless me? And that's, by the way, a sidebar. When I think about the gift of marriage and good things like that, I always keep it in mind. This is a gift. It's not a right. You have no right. God didn't owe this to you. She didn't owe it to you to marry you. And now she's wondering. 
No. <laughs> Do you follow what I'm saying? But this child that comes into the world, there's the power of the last S, the power of a savior. Comes into the world to free us from ourselves, from this selfish, potential, manipulative behavior, the power of a savior. A perfect gift, the one who came from the full giver of himself. Do you realize Jesus coming into the world is a representation of God giving himself, not a ticket to heaven. That's how we think. Oh, did I get my, did I get my you know, extra credit card? Do I have it in my wallet? Oh, my ticket to heaven, I'm good. No, 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 no. God is giving himself to us. He's offering this gift. Whoop, I'm going the wrong direction. Sorry, sorry. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. I hate to fill you in. As wonderful as the world is. By the way, the world's broken. I get that. But there's so many gorgeous, wonderful things in this world. Right in this area. I look in the paper every day. The local people who take pictures for the local paper beat out our home paper up north. Beautiful pictures. There was a picture this last week of Mohonk and a, a, you know, a downward look at this lake with the sky reflect. It was gorgeous. The world is, there's some beauty in it. It's a wonderful place. As wonderful as it is, trust me, the second person of the Trinity entering into our affairs was a step way down. I don't think you need a philosophical degree to figure that out. It was a step down. He became poor for your sake that you through his poverty might be made rich. Guess what? He gave up everything so we inherit everything. When we get folded into the family of God, we inherit not only life eternal, we inherit life abundant in the here and now. And everything that belongs to Christ, he gives to us as his inheritors, his heirs. It's amazing. So what is my response to this wonderful gift that has entered into the world? The one who can free us from ourself, the one who can give us victory over stuff that wants to possess us instead of us possessing it and using it wisely? I need to respond. I need to say thanks. Some of you may recognize this verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I've described it a little, but... It's not adequate, what I'm saying. It doesn't convey it all. There's a gift of eternal life. There's a gift of inner transformation. There are things that God gives us that makes life worth living. Direction. A purpose greater than myself. All the gifts that we enjoy in this world. Think of the best gift you've ever gotten. I don't know what it is. Think of the best gift you've ever gotten. Do you realize that all of that is simply a vague reflection of the heart of God giving gifts to us? He's given gifts to the just and the unjust, whether they thank him or not. Early in his book, Paul Tournier said, God gives me 24 hours a day. He's lucky to get one hour of mine per week. And he doesn't begrudge me. He doesn't take all the hours away. That would mean you're dead. Gifts. The rain comes on the just and the unjust. 
He provides food, gladness, all our needs, whatever it is. But on top of all that, he invites us into a relationship with him who is the author of life, and to know him is to have life in every sense of the word. All the gifts that you've ever enjoyed are simply vague reflections of the good gifts of God. All the stories we read, all the, the, the tales of the kingdom, the Star Wars saga, all of that stuff, they're all speaking to that longing for something bigger. And there's a gift that can be given to us. Some of you may know the little poem. might sound a little corny, but you'll recognize it. In bleak midwinter, Christina Rossetti, what can I give him, poor as I am? You know it. If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, a magi, I would do my part like they did. Yet what can I give him? What's the answer? I can give him my heart. You do understand that there's something powerful, not just about the giving of a gift. There's something very powerful about the receiving of a gift. If I proposed to my bride, which I did, and she said no, that would have been a big mistake. (laughs) Just kidding. The scripture makes it clear, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. There's something about the power of receiving the gift, the importance of it. A gift of pure love, pure motive, not manipulative, not to hold power over your head per se, better than stuff that you can get, better than yourself. It can free you from the broken part of yourself. God offering himself, love giving of himself, it is the self-sacrificing God that we worship, and he wants you to enter in. So let me just be clear on one thing as we close. Last week I shared a very famous verse. Most of you in the room, even if you don't go to church, probably have read it before or heard it before. But if not, if this is the first time, take a minute to read it with me. Anybody remember this? For God so loved the world that he did what? He sent a gift. He sent a gift out of his love to rescue us. We don't deserve it. It's really too much for us, and yet he wants us to receive it. He sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. People might know this data and never do anything with it. That's the trick about gifts. I can leave a gift on your doorstep, You can ignore it. I've had people do that. It's something really profoundly obnoxious about that. Having a gift that you give to somebody, you just want to show your love, your appreciation, and literally get this. I mean, literally. Ooh. You know, God is not a force. Star Wars not included. He's a person. He's given us a gift. How have we made him feel? Have we received it in all of its wondrous value? Um, I work for a church. You may have noticed that. 
We get these things in the mail once in a while, you know, like a, a date book or a pen, and, uh, you know, it'll have Harmony Baptist Church on the. It's a sample. They want me to buy a whole bunch of them, you know. Very nice, altruistic gift they sent me. But the ones I really like, have you ever seen them where it says, your name here? <laughs> you know, you could rent this sign, your name here. <laughs> So let me be clear about something. This verse, famous, could be read this way. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if your name here, if John Hocko, if Ben Horowitz, if someone believes in him, he or she shall not perish, but they'll inherit eternal life. You see your name here, but you've got to receive the gift. You have to. It's not automatic. It just doesn't one day show up in your bank account. You have to go take it. He's inviting us. Jesus reaches out to us. What a great time, Christmas. What a great time to receive the gift and give the Father's heart gladness because somebody appreciated what he sent in the world, into the world at great personal expense. As I close, let me just say how you can do this. Somebody would be glad to pray with you. I am going to wait up here at the front of the auditorium. If you're wondering about, okay, how do I settle that issue and know that I have that gift of eternal life? We'd be happy to explain it, pray with you, bring you into the kingdom. People have been doing that recently here. We're excited about it. You can be part of it. I want to welcome you to do so. If you don't have time today or you're a little squeamish, there's a little card in the pew. looks like this. Take that out. Thanks for being at Harmony. I want to talk to Pastor John. Fill it out. There's a box in the foyer on the right-hand side as you're going out. Drop it in there. Anybody you recognize that was on the platform or handing out bulletins, give it to them, and they will give it to me. Right, class? So I'm trying to make it as easy as I possibly can as accessible as I possibly can. I promise I'll get back to you. If you have questions or you want to know Jesus and have your future secured because of the wonderful gift, I'd be glad to help. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. Our time is up. We're going to close in prayer and commit ourselves to the grace of God and trust that we stay safe during this crazy week ahead and enjoy the good gifts God has provided even through other people but especially the gift he's given us in his son. Let's pray. Now, Father, I ask in Jesus' name for your Holy Spirit to continue to pursue those who are maybe listening in, wondering about all of this, that, Lord, you would give them the same heart that you gave to those, those magicians. They really should have been outside, and yet they came all the way to meet Jesus Give us that heart that wants to receive this incredible gift, the King of the Jews, the Savior of the world, the one who gives himself to us to be enjoyed. Help us, lead us into that faith if we haven't entered into it, and if we have entered into it, increase it and deepen it and give us joy in this season, not in all the stuff, but in the goodness of God. We bless you, we worship you, we thank you. Uh, we say happy birthday, Lord Jesus. 
And we're grateful that you came, you died, and you rose again to give us life eternal. In the name of Jesus, we pray today and ask for your grace and mercy on your people. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Merry Christmas to you. I'll stay up front for a while. God bless you. Have a great week.